love Rosedale Baptist Church, and it's such a privilege to be here uh, every Easter, at least for the last few years. And I love what your pastor said a moment ago, and that is that uh, this heart of the gospel, the fact that Jesus died upon the cross for our sins according to the scripture, this is what it's all about. This is the very reason why Jesus Christ came to earth. He told us that. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom the Apostle Paul said, I am chief. When I think about the last week of Jesus' life, I think about what your pastor just talked about a moment ago. I think about that first part of the week, that triumphal entry, when all the people seem to be saying, this is he. This is Messiah. We've been waiting for this. And remember, they cast their coats down in the way. They cast down the, the palm branch. And the palm branch was a symbol of victory, a symbol of triumph and, and of peace. And no doubt people were thinking our, our long-awaited uh, time under Rome has come to an end. No longer will we have to pay these taxes. No longer will we be under the domination of a world power. Finally, will have the credit that is due to us. Finally, our Messiah has shown up to throw off Roman oppression. No, no doubt, that's what they thought. And all their hopes were dashed throughout the week as they realized that Jesus was not going to be a political Messiah. Jesus was not going to be an, an economic Messiah. And I wonder how often, even today, that's what we're looking for Jesus to be. We want Jesus to make our country better and make our jobs better and make... That's not why Jesus came, primarily. No, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when I think about Palm Sunday, I think about Act One. When I think about Easter Sunday, I think about the final act of the great drama of the last week of Jesus' ministry. But when I think about the death of Christ, when I think about today, 2,000 years ago, the events of today, I think about that middle act, your pastor said, the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus died upon the cross for our sins. I want to take you tonight to four scenes on that night, understanding that in a Jewish day, the day began in the evening. You know that. The evening and the morning were the first day. And so on that night, on that night, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus gathered in that room with those disciples, that already was the day. That already was the day on which Jesus would die, because that was the evening. So I want to take you tonight to a room. And then from that room, I want to take you to a garden. And from that garden, I want to take you to a trial. And from that trial, I want to take you to the foot of the cross. And tonight, let's look at those four venues. A room a garden, a trial, a cross. And beyond that, I want to show you something tonight perhaps that you've not considered. And that is that while Jesus had set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem, and while Jesus, uh, from the time he was on planet Earth, had, had intended to fulfill this mission and never deviated, not once in his whole life from this mission, yet he never forgot those close to him. And while his heart was troubled, and while he knew the great pains that he would suffer physically and spiritually, and while he knew the weight 
of the collective sins of all the world would be laid upon him as the sin bearer. When he knew all of that, he still spoke lovingly to the people that were by him. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to the ones that were with him for those final 24 hours? And, and more than that, what, what is he saying to you? Because here we are in these 24 hours. Here we are, proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ. Here we are. And tonight, what does Jesus say to us? Why does the Bible include these words that Jesus spoke to these men, these followers, on that day so many years ago? I want to take you, first of all, tonight to that room. You know the room. It's the upper room. If we were to go to Israel today, I could take you to a spot that people say is the upper room. We don't know if it is or not. But there was a room, and Jesus did meet. And there on that night, he and those 12, yes, 12. Remember, Judas was there, and Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Understand that when Judas went out to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, he betrayed him with clean feet. The feet that Jesus had washed. And there that night, Jesus girded himself with a towel. And there Jesus, uh, that night, washed the feet of his own disciples. Somebody should have done that. That was customary for somebody to wash the feet. Normally the job of the lowest servant or the youngest child, it was his job to wash the feet. But no doubt those disciples thought, that, uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not the lowest. Matter of fact, they had been arguing for months about who was the highest. They had been arguing for months about who was the greatest. They had been arguing for months about who would sit on the right hand and who would sit on the left. Nobody was arguing about who would be the lowest. So Jesus said, I'll be the lowest. And he girded himself with that towel and he washed their feet. Remember what he taught them in that upper room on that day? Remember? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it, if it were not so, I would have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, uh, 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 I will come again and receive you unto myself. That, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know. And, and the way you know. Uh, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Jesus told them in that room that night, first scene, in that room that night, he told them, I'm going away. But in that entire conversation, he had some things to leave them with. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, think about it, five chapters of the 21 chapters in the book of John are dedicated to one night one conversation. Do you think that Jesus had some things to say? Do you think that Jesus wants you to know some things about that final night? Five chapters dedicated to one conversation. I'm going, but you guys need to lo love each other. I know you love me. And Rosedale Baptist Church, I think the Lord tonight knows that you love him. I don't think anybody in this room would equivocate for one moment to say, I love Jesus. And oh, how I love Jesus. And I think you can sing it sincerely from your heart. But I wonder from your heart, can you say, oh, how I love the person right next to me and behind me and in front of me. Now, Jesus said, I know you love me, but uh, fellas, you need to learn to love one another. That's what I'm saying. 
I'm going, but love each other. I'm going, but love each other. Not only did he say, I'm going, but love each other. He said, secondly, I'm going, you better stay on mission. I'm going, you better stay on mission. There's still a job for you to do. There's still a a world that needs to be reached. There's there's still people that don't know the gospel, and you've got a job to do. And by the way, the job that I'm leaving you to do is too big for you. You're not going to be able to do it. So I want you to just wait around because I'm going to give you a comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit of God that will come and empower your life. You need me. You need my spirit. You need power. And in that room that night, Jesus said, I'm going, but you need to love each other. I'm going, but you need to stay on mission. And I'm going, and you need the power of God upon your life. Boy, there's never been a a generation, I think, in all of recorded history that needs those three things any more than our generation. We live in a world of hate. We live in a world that uh, uh, even in churches where people can't get along. And as never before, we need people to learn what it means to love and serve each other. We live in a world that's uh, uh, distracting us in so many different ways. And we need a church that's focused once again upon the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. There are neighbors even now that don't know Christ. Uh, There are co-workers right now that don't know Christ. There are extended family members right now that don't know Christ. What are we doing about it? And Jesus said, I'm going, but there's a job to do. I'm going, but I need for you to be filled with the Spirit of God to make a difference in a world that desperately needs to know about Jesus Christ. I'm preparing a place. Did it ever occur to you that when Jesus said, I'm preparing a place, that included the the mission of the cross? We get this idea that when Jesus was preparing a place, that meant, well, he's going to get to heaven and and get out the, the hammer and the nails and build a mansion, and I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. That's what we think that means. But no, when Jesus said, I prepare a place, that meant I'm going to the cross. Because the cross is the preparation. The cross is the way by which we access heaven. Without the cross, there is no place. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare, but there's a job for you to do. Church, love each other. Stay on mission. Be full of the Spirit of God. Love each other. Stay on mission. Be full of the Spirit of God. That is scene one. Well, Judas had left. Somewhere in the middle of the meal, uh, Jesus had given him that, is it I? It's you. And Judas left. The other disciples just assumed he was going out to buy some uh, additional things for the feast. They didn't at all suspect that Judas could be the one that would betray the Lord. Judas had been looking for an opportunity to betray the Lord all week long. He had been looking for that right moment. Now this was the right moment in his mind. And so he went out to find those chief priests. He went out to find that temple guard to, to arrest Jesus and probably wanted to come right back to that room to arrest him. But the Bible teaches that in the interim time, Jesus had taught his own disciples. And when they had finished that teaching in the upper room, they sang in hymn. The song they sang, by the way, was Psalm 118. What a great psalm that would be for you to read tonight before you you go to bed. Or tomorrow morning. Psalm 118. It was what Jesus and the disciples sang that night. In the middle of that psalm, uh, it says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will, what? Rejoice and be glad in it. What day was it? That Calvary's day. 
Jesus said we can even rejoice in the worst day because the worst day was the best day when Jesus died for our sins. And they sang it that night, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. As they left that upper room, they made their way through the, no doubt, quiet streets of Jerusalem. They made their way downhill from a place called Mount Zion. They made their way down, down, down to a valley that we call the Valley of Kidron. As they walked along the Kidron Valley and made their way across the valley, they began to ascend again the Mount of Olives. Jesus, just a few days before, had come down that mount in great victory and great triumph on Palm Sunday. But now he's making his way up. All along the, the lower part of the Mount of Olives are olive trees. That's why they call it the Mount of Olives. And there in those olive trees was the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the place of the olive press. That's what it means. The place of the olive press. You know that when olives are, are pressured to get the oil, they're pressured three different times. Did you know that? The first time there's a, a little bit of pressure and that virgin olive oil is used. And then to extract even more from those olives, it's pressed again and more oil comes out. And finally it's pressed again until there's nothing left. Is it not ironic that Jesus three times went? to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane and felt the pressure. And sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And there, the pressure of the world, the weight of the cup that he would drink, the cup of wrath, not just for your sins and for mine, but for all the sins of all people, of all eternity, Jesus died upon that cross. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And once and, and twice and three times he went a little further and fell upon his face and, and felt that pressure. The Bible teaches that so pressured was Jesus in that garden that night that the very angels of God came down and ministered unto him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the kind of pressure that our Lord felt in the garden that day? But you know he also talked to us. He didn't just talk to his father on that night. Oh, he did. He didn't just pray for his disciples. Oh, he did. That's what John chapter 17 is all about. But no, on that night, he didn't just talk to his father. He talked to us. He said to his inner three. He said to those special three, those that had joined them on the Mount of Transfiguration, those whom he had called the years before, those in whom he had invested so many of his hours, so much of his life. He said, Peter and James and John, can you come with me? Men, I need you to pray with me. Would you watch and pray? And you need to watch and pray lest ye fall into temptation. And what did they do? They slept. And he woke them up. And they slept. And he woke them up. And they slept. I think that's me. That's me. Here we live in this sin-cursed world, and the battle that we fight is not a battle against flesh and blood. The battle we fight is not the fact that I didn't get the, the raise at work, or I got the bad uh, medical report at the hospital. That's not the battle that we fight. No, the battle we fight is that battle on the inside, the battle. This battle that these disciples were facing that night, they didn't see it. 
As a matter of fact, they denied that they could even fall. Peter said, Lord, though all men would forsake you, I would never forsake you. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, watch and pray. What does Jesus say to a, an onlooking Good Friday night crowd 2,000 years later? He tells you the same thing. Watch and pray. We live in a powerless Christianity. We live in a prayerless Christianity. We live in the midst of religiosity. We're good at going to church. We're good at reading our five-minute devotionals. We're good at religious rhetoric, but where's the prayer? Where's the watchfulness? And where's the heart for God? And where's the protracted time aloneness with God? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, can you watch and can you pray? Oh, they were willing to fight, just like we are. Oh, they're willing to picket, and they're willing to rally, and they're willing to fight, and they're willing to pick up swords. And Jesus said, put down the sword and pick up the prayer. He says that to you tonight. I don't know what you're struggling with tonight. I don't know what the issues of your heart is, but I know this. Jesus is saying to you tonight, watch and pray. When's the last time you wrestled with him? When's the last time you, for, you decided to forego some sleep and, and to get out in a private spot with just you and God and say, oh, my Father, oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I have no place else to turn. Oh, God, where's the oh, God in our churches anymore? May Good Friday 2023 lead people back to the oh, God moments of our life. We've, ne we've, ne we've never needed him any more than we need him right now. Yes, Jesus prayed to his Father, and yes, Jesus was on mission, and yes, all of it was happening, but in, on the sidelines, he saw some struggling disciples and said, you need to watch and pray. You need to put down the sword and pick up the prayer shawl and get along with God. That was the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, there was another thing he said in that garden to somebody very special to him. Somebody whom he loved very dearly. Somebody whom he had called just years before. Somebody who was very trusted by the other disciples. Of course, you know who that is. That's Judas himself. And after that third hour of prayer in the garden, the Bible says that Jesus said to his three, uh, just go ahead and sleep on, guys. It's too late. It's too late. They're already coming. And there they came, uh, Judas and the temple guard. The Bible says a multitude of them. Oh, they wouldn't arrest Jesus. Uh, they had opportunities all week long to arrest him. Where were they when he cast out the money changers? Where were they when he uh, talked to them in the, in the temple and taught the parables? Where were they? They were afraid. But now in the middle of the night, these cowardly religious leaders, they're more than willing to come arrest Jesus. And there was Judas. And Judas had given the sign to them, I'm going to go and pretend as if nothing happened, and I'm going to go, and in the darkness of the hour, you won't know which one it is, but I'm going to go and give a kiss of greeting. And the one that I give a kiss of greeting to, you'll know that's the one to arrest. Remember what Judas did? He came and embraced Jesus. Can you picture that? The very embodiment of the Antichrist, right there. The one betraying our Lord into the hands of sinners. The son of perdition himself embraces Jesus. Puts his cheek right up next to it. Kisses him. And while his face is resting against the face of Jesus, Jesus whispers to him, Are you betraying me? 
with a kiss. I wonder if Jesus doesn't whisper that to me tonight. I wonder sometimes if the way by which we betray the Lord is with feigned obedience, with feigned fellowship, with feigned affection. And our words tell one story, but our heart tells a different story. And our habits and our creeds and the dots that we dot and the T's that we cross tell us one story, but in our heart of hearts, is there really a genuine devotion, authentic fellowship of Jesus Christ? Or like Judas, are we just the game players that so many religious people are? This is a good night for you to look down deeply with the aid of God's Holy Spirit. To pray the prayer of David to say, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. O God, tonight, would you show me, me? That'd be a great prayer. O God, tonight, would you show me, me? Because here was somebody that looked like a Christian and walked like a Christian and talked like a Christian and did the Christian things, but he's in hell today because it wasn't real. Even though he wore the mask of pretended religiosity. What is Jesus saying to you tonight? Maybe you're the one that down deep in your heart, you know you're playing a game. You know you're going through the motions. You know you're a cultural Christian. You know there's no real, authentic walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, my friend, uh, this is your day. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the time of salvation. You can be saved tonight. Quit pretending. Run to Christ. That's Jesus' word to you tonight. Scene number one in upper room. Down, down, down to the valley. Up just a slight way on the other side. There's a garden. Scene number two. And now arrested in that garden. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 56 that all of his disciples forsook him and fled. We'll never forsake you, said they all. Oh, Peter was the one that chimed in first, but they all repeated, no, we'll, we'll never forsake you. But they all forsook him. Every single one of them. John had a change of heart, and John ended up following the Lord at least to the place of the trial. And Peter had somewhat of a change of heart, because the Bible says that Jesus, or rather Peter, followed him afar off. Can you picture it? As they make their way from that garden, back down across the valley of Kidron, along the eastern wall of the, the temple, uh, around the southern wall, up the stairs, probably the same stairs down which they had walked from the upper room, but up, up, up again to Mount Zion. And now as they make their way up on that long walk in the middle of the night with those guards that had arrested Jesus, they entered the house of Caiaphas. Caiaphas has made it very clear for the last six weeks, I want him dead. Better that one should die than the whole nation should suffer, Caiaphas had said, not realizing how prophetic that word was. And now in the middle of the night, can you picture all the, the men on the Sanhedrin council coming from their homes all throughout Jerusalem, being summoned in the middle of the night for a kangaroo court. And there is Jesus being held in that, that pit in the ground. The Bible talks about Psalm 88 prophetically that Jesus would be in a pit in the ground, and there he was. Some of us have been in that pit in the house of Caiaphas. 
as the men gathered, Caiaphas was desperate. I, I have to find... I have to find some way to justify this. I don't have anybody that's witnessing against Jesus. Go out and find some false witnesses. Go out and find some people that will lie about who Jesus is and lie about what Jesus said. And make sure that two of them agree. And so they brought people in one by one. And they gave their lies. Well, I heard him say this. Well, I heard him say this. Well, he did that, but none of them agreed. They couldn't find any two liars that agreed with each other. Finally, Caiaphas, in frustration, looked at Jesus and said, Tell us, just tell us, are you the Son of God? He said, I sure am. And you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his angels. You ain't seen nothing yet, is what Jesus said. Caiaphas tore his clothes and feigned, uh, 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 feigned uh, shock to say, What further need have we of witnesses? Those Sanhedrin council members, most of whom were Sadducees, some of whom were Pharisees. Can you picture it? These, these old men, they blindfolded Jesus, began to hit him, slap him, spit on him. You say, Pastor Skelly, I thought you were talking to us tonight about what Jesus was saying to the people around him. What's he saying here? Nothing. Nothing. You're this, he says nothing. You're an imposter, he says nothing. You're a fake, you're a fraud, he says nothing. They curse him and mock him and jeer him, he says nothing. And in a silence, he speaks volumes. He being reviled, reviled not again. But he, he suffered, he, he being threatened, suffered not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus gave us the greatest lesson of all that night. In the misunderstanding and the mocking and the jeering, he didn't defend himself. He let God be God. And by the way, one of the loudest things he said that, li- that night was not from his voice, it was from his eyes. Because as he was being led that night from the house of Annas, he was the father-in-law, he ran the show. Across the courtyard to the house of Caiaphas, that was the son-in-law. He was the one that had the, he, he was in charge, he had the title. And the Bible teaches that as Jesus was making his way from the house of Annas to the house of Caiaphas, walking across the courtyard, oh, there in the courtyard was Peter. He had been there for some time. It was a cold night. If you've ever been in Jerusalem at that time of year, oh, it gets cold at night, way up high on the mountain. And Peter had been warming his hands by that fire. And three times they, they had said to him, well, we think that you're with them. We, we, you sound like a people that are from up there in Galilee. Are you sure you're? And three times Peter had vociferously said, no, you got me mixed up with somebody else. No, 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 no that's not me. No, uh, you must be mistaken. No, and he cussed and swore. I don't know him. It's not me. On that third denial, remember, the rooster crowed. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not only did the rooster crow, but at that very moment, Jesus was being led across the courtyard. And at the very moment he denied him and the rooster crowed, Peter turned. And there were the eyes of Jesus looking at him.
Did your mom ever give you the look? You know, I think on Good Friday 2023, I think for some of us, Jesus is giving us the look. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You got one life. There's a heaven and there's a hell. There's an eternity to gain. I think sometimes the loudest thing Jesus says is nothing. Silence at the trial of Caiaphas. Silence at the trial of Pilate. Silence at the trial of Herod. Three different trials in the space of just a, a couple of hours in which all of them, Jesus is silent. He's silent, says not a word. And in that silence, he speaks volumes. No, it's only as he's being led from the place of flogging. It's only as he's being led from the, the place where they put the crown of thorns on his head and mocked him again and the cat of nine tails and, and all of it as they're leading him with the, uh, the, the cross member on his back and he's so depleted physically that he falls beneath the weight of the cross and they compel one, Simon the Cyrene, to help him carry that cross and the women that line the streets early that morning are weeping. And Jesus says, oh no. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Because in one generation, this entire city will be destroyed. And indeed, 40 years later, it was. Because you can choose one of two judgments, but you have to choose one. You can choose the judgment of the cross where God judged your sins in the person of Jesus Christ and you can receive the gift righteousness of Jesus Christ offered to you by grace. You can receive that judgment or you can pay for your own sins. Jesus taught it that day. Scene number one, an upper room. And from that upper room, he went down to a simple garden at which he had prayed many a time, all the while speaking love each other, I'm going, but love each other. I'm going, but stay on mission. I'm going. Be full of God's spirit. He came here and said, watch and pray. Fellas, watch and pray. Put down the sword. Watch and pray. Do you betray me with a kiss? Be real. And then here, nothing. They beat him, nothing. He said nothing. Oh, but he did give the look. And then finally, Jesus arrived at, watch this, the place of the cross. Golgotha, the place of the skull, the Bible teaches. Oh, not, not on a hill far away, like we sing in the song. Not the three crosses that are silhouetted against the evening sundown. No, no, no. There's nothing pastoral about it. There's nothing beautiful about it. No, it's the, it's the place of the skull. It, it's a, a, a rock formation. It's ugly and gnarly. It's on the outside of the city gate. It's, it's where the roads would meet. It's where the Romans would crucify people for the, ultimate, uh, for the ultimate shock and awe. Stripping people of their clothes to put them in shame as they hung naked in front of their family. Naked in front of their neighbors and all the passers-by. As if to say, don't mess with Rome or this will happen to you. And there was Jesus right in the middle 
of two common thieves dying the horrific death of crucifixion. And yet, watch this. He's still talking. What's he saying? I find it interesting of the seven things that Jesus said on the cross, three of them he said to, to his father. Can I just say this? In the times of your life of ultimate pain and misunderstanding, when you feel all forsaken, I'm going to tell you something, God is still at the other end of the line. And Jesus began his conversation on the cross with his father. Oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. At the beginning and at the end of the cross, he's talking to his father. That's a good time to talk to the father. By the way, in the middle of the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No, he talked to God on the cross. I don't know what cross you face today, but you can talk to God on your cross. But wait a minute. He also talked to hurting people. Hurting people? Who could hurt more than he? Hurting people? He was the one flogged. He was the one beaten. He was the one that was hanging uh, uh, in shreds upon a cross. They ought to be helping him. But he's talking to them. He is the one that will take upon the sins of the world. He, God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If anybody had the right to be selfish in any place of all of history, it was then, it was him. But what did Jesus do? Son, son, son behold your mother. Would, would you please take care of her. He, he, he's going to take care of you. Can you imagine? T- today, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. He's still saving. He's still loving. He's still helping on the cross. Now, he spoke to his father. He spoke to hurting people. But I love this. He spoke to you. And he spoke to me. You say, Pastor Skelly, when did he do that? He did that in making the greatest declaration of all time. The greatest single word that's ever been uttered. We have it as three words in our English Bible. And of course, you know those words. It is finished. It is finished. It was a declaration. It was a declaration to say that mission completed. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to pay redemption's price. I came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Job complete. He did it. You say, well, that's not the gospel. That's just the death of Christ. No, that was, that was the completion of sin's penalty. That was it. The, the resurrection was the validation. The cross was the completion. Uh, the, 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 the resurrection was simply the exclamation point. Uh, the sentence was already completed on Friday. The sentence was written. All, all it lacked was a punctuation mark. If he didn't rise from the dead, the, the, it would have been a question mark. 
If it was just a, if it was just a political or, a, or an economic accomplishment, it would have just been a period. But no, Jesus Christ came to save all people of all nations of all time. If they'll come to him by faith, he came to save at the big fat exclamation point the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Four scenes, a room, a garden, a trial, and a cross. And in all four scenes, Jesus was looking at you. In all four scenes, he was coaching you. In all four scenes, he was teaching you. And now you need to do something about it. What he declared in darkness 2,000 years ago needs to resound in the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ today. And you have tonight, and you have tomorrow, and you've got early Sunday morning, and you can text on the way to church, I give you permission to tell somebody that Jesus Christ completed his mission, and they need to learn all about it. And you're the one to tell them. Father, thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for these scenes that you painted 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord, for finishing what you started. And Lord, we're looking forward to what you're going to do in our lives as you finish what you start in us. And Lord, my prayer right now is for that one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Lord, my prayer tonight is for that one who might be living beneath the mask of religiosity, Close enough to speak to the Lord, but far enough never to have trusted Him as personal Savior. Oh God, tonight, would you save that one? Oh God, tonight, I pray that not one person in the balcony, not one person who has slipped in, maybe in the back, not one person that's wa watching on the live stream. Lord, I pray that not one person tonight who's feeling the pangs of conviction in his heart would leave tonight without trusting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder in your heart right now, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you might just bend your heart right now to the Lord. If you would just right now from your heart say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Don't tell me, tell him in your heart. I know I have failed you in many ways, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe with all of my heart that you came to this earth and died upon the cross in my place. I believe that. I believe that you were buried and that you rose again. I'm asking you. I'm asking you right now to come into my life and to become my personal Lord and Savior. Please, please, Lord Jesus. Save me. Please, Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, I pray that if even one person tonight 
would have prayed that prayer sincerely from their heart. Oh, God, tonight, I pray that you'd give them the courage to tell somebody before they leave this place. And now, Lord, we give you this service. We give you this music. We give you the celebration of the supper. And we ask you, God, in these moments to make your presence felt and real in our lives. We love you. And all God's people said, amen.